Hi, everybody. This is Adriana Trajani. I'm the host of You Are What You Read. I have the privilege of interviewing luminaries of our times about the books that shaped them from childhood until now. We get everybody from Sarah Jessica Parker to Kristen Hanna, Mitch Albom, Susie Essman, Craig Ferguson, Rain Wilson, Amor Tolls, you name it, they come, they share. New episodes of You Are What You Read drop every Tuesday on Apple, Spotify, or any major streaming platform wherever you listen to your podcasts. The Joyce Kaufman Podcast is being brought to you by Code Red Roofers, South Florida's leading residential and commercial roof experts. Code Red Roofers, roofers that respond. Call 844-4-CODE-RED or visit coderedroofers.com. So at this uh, stage in my life, I'm realizing that I just really don't know what to read when it comes to news gathering or information gathering. Because it's all so clearly leans one way or the other, left or right. There's nothing that even resembles straight up news. Nothing. So there's, whenever there's a vacuum like that, a void, it will be filled. And if I were younger, I would do that. I would go back and put together a network that just did straight up news reporting leaving aside any bias, or at least not allowing the bias to be apparent to the viewer, the listener. I don't know if that could ever happen again, but it would certainly uh, attract the number of people who are dissatisfied with what they got. I was looking at an aggregate website this morning, and today was the uh, first part of Rosalind Carter, the former first lady's funeral. And depending on which newspaper you read or which headline you follow, you either think that like the absolute worst person that ever lived was Melania Trump for wearing a gray coat instead of a black coat. That's one side. Or else you're reading about how, you know, Hillary Clinton has a lot of nerve showing, I mean, really, like why couldn't there just be one publication that said, These first ladies were in attendance, period, end of sentence. Like, really? It's a funeral. But that's, uh, you know, that's just the nature of it. Melania Trump couldn't do anything. If she showed up in black, they would say it was like the wrong black, you know. And as far as conservatives are, are concerned, if Hillary Clinton doesn't show up or shows up, they'll find some kind of fault. But then they saw this headline that really just, um, I would say it really ticked me off, but that's mild. It infuriated me. It said, while it is known that many Californians looking to leave the Golden State often choose Texas as their new home, new statistics indicate that a growing number of Texans are making their home in California. Now, Is there a single human being on planet Earth that believes that? Have you heard about some massive movement of people? The only people I think that would leave Texas and go to California are illegal immigrants. Because anybody struggling in this economy or even anybody who's well-to-do but sick and tired of giving a large portion of their income to the government 
and especially in California, where you're talking about giving your money to Gavin Newsom to fritter away, does anybody really think that that headline is based on actual data that was compiled in an authentic way? And even if you tell me that the data comes from the United States Census Bureau, let me tell you something about the Census Bureau. And I hope the person who, uh, you know, dealt with me uh, during this gathering of census information recently won't be offended by my saying this, but what a crock of poop all that information gathering really is. You basically could say whatever you want. How many people live in the house? Eight. You know, are any of them uh, illegal immigrants? No. I, I mean, there's no verification of anything when the Census Bureau people come to your door. So if they come to, I, I, first of all, I'm trying to figure out. So they, they come to you and they say, oh, um, where are you living now? The last resident we have for you was in Houston, Texas. And you say, well, now I'm living in San Diego, California. Okay, so somewhere there's a data point that now says an individual left Houston, Texas to move to San Diego, California. No question is asked, like, why? Are you planning on staying there? You know, half the time, people might be located in a place because if they serve in the United States military, they've been relocated to a base. Half the time, they have a job that takes them somewhere else. Sometimes they're students and they live in Florida, but they're going to school in California like my own children. So these data points are, you know, they're, they're nonsensical but they're designed to make everybody say, oh, you see, uh, people don't like Governor Abbott. They'd rather go live in California. And I'm sure there are a lot of people who don't like Governor Abbott, but I don't think they're rushing to California because if they're used to living in a state where there's no state income tax, they're not rushing to New York or California. Trust me, I, I may leave here, but I'm not going to a, a state where I have a state tax, a city tax, uh, probably a county tax, all kinds of taxes that I'm no longer used to. I've been here in Florida a long time. I pay my federal income tax, I pay my property taxes, and something called an intangible tax, which to this day is intangible and ununderstandable for the most part. None of us question it, we just pay it because it's intangible, so what can you question? But I, I, I'm darn for sure not going to go to California where my kids are paying like 60 cents on every dollar they earn to some entity, whether it's the federal government or their state government or the county government or their city government. You have to be crazy. And now you also have to be in a particular income bracket because if you're not, you're dirt poor in California. You're either very wealthy or you're poor. There's not a big middle class in California. There used to be, but no longer. And so, you know, what are, what are the motivators to relocate? Because generally people only move if there's opportunity where they're moving. Maybe they're forced to move for a health reason like weather. But for the most part, people go for opportunity. I came to Florida in 1977 
because my husband would have never been able to open up a business in New York in his field. It just was impossible. You know, it was very expensive to do. And, you know, it was a union state. So every employee had to be a member of the union and therefore wages were much higher. That was very hard to compete. You had to be in a big company. So that wasn't going to happen. We moved down here. He opened up a business and within a year it was successful. So people move because A, they want to make more money and they think there's some opportunity to do that either by going into business for themselves or they get relocated to a company that's going to pay them more money. Does anybody really believe that people are leaving Texas and making their home in California because it's fiscally practical? <laughs> I just, you know, it's just so silly. You know, the, the data that they're citing in the Houston Chronicle says that California welcomed 42,279 Texans as new residents in 2022, the most of any state. Now, the average salary in Texas in 2023 was 57000 which is about 24th, about dead center in the nation. The average California salary is 73000 which is the third highest. It's only behind New York and Massachusetts. I think New York is 75 and Massachusetts 76. But what does it cost to live in those states? How long do you think they're going to last when they realize that they may be making $20,000 more than they made back in Texas, but they can't afford to buy a home? Or the food bill is astronomical. Or they pull up to the gas pump and they you know, they go into cardiac arrest like I do every time I'm in California. Now, gas prices have been falling lately. So now you can get gas for five bucks in California. But you got, I don't care how much more money you're making. It better be substantial or your standard of living isn't going to be any better than it was in Texas. So, I, you know, I look at these headlines, and it's not just that headline about the moving. Um, but now, the big headline, and now granted, this is something that plays into my belief system, right? They have a headline that says, Masks, Social Distancing, Return to China. Europe on alert. Now, remember, before there was COVID, I always wondered why people in a lot of Asian countries, but particularly in China, wore masks. They were wearing masks long before COVID. And if you believe that masks will actually protect you from getting a virus, well, then you wear a mask. Social distancing? We've already established that social distancing, by and large, is not a solution to any kind of pandemic. And plus, it's not even COVID that they're talking about. You can't get a straight answer. This is the, you know, the same look. It's like an echo. But now it's a mystery pneumonia outbreak. First and foremost, what does that mean? Is there something mysterious about pneumonia? I know people who get pneumonia. Is there like a mysterious pneumonia that I haven't really been made aware of? Alarming footage 
has emerged of mask-wearing crowds inside Chinese hospitals as fears of a new pandemic sweep across the globe. Has it swept into your life? Just wondering, because I've really not seen any evidence of a new pandemic here in uh, Coconut Creek, what, what, how you guys are, what your experience is in West Palm Beach. But um, when I see people wearing masks, I think one of two things. The first thing I think is they might be sick and they don't want to spread around they're sick or they might be fearful of getting sick. You know, they might be senior citizens who, and even senior citizens aren't wearing masks anymore. But that's the first thing I think. And the second thing I think is, well, they're Democrats and they just want me to know that. Because, you know, they they have this, like, mask thing. But hospitals becoming packed in Beijing and Liaoning, you have to ask yourself, really? When we saw the beginning of that during the COVID breakout or the pandemic, they were denying that there was anything wrong. China wasn't talking about COVID-19, was it? Matter of fact, they kept denying that there was any problem, which probably exacerbated the spread. But now we have mycoplasma pneumonia has been circulating since May, but is now showing ground glass opacity in lung scans, an indicator of severe respiratory illness, also known as white lung syndrome. Here we go again. Or at least this is where they would like to take us again. But you know what? You must refuse to comply. That's all I'm going to tell you. I don't know. We're getting closer to an election. And all of a sudden, uh, they're sounding the big alarms. And they're showing you the big photographs. And they're making everybody fearful. But pneumonia has and always will be a significant risk, particularly for seniors and for people who have you know, COPD or asthma and things like that, that, that never changed and it never will change. But to, to insist that children put on masks or young, healthy adults put on masks, don't you fall for that. Not again. We've been there. And if you, I took a pneumonia vaccine and I don't take vaccines as most of you know, but I took the pneumonia vaccine because I know that at my age, pneumonia can be very serious. So I took the pneumonia vaccine, which, by the way, is an actual vaccine, so that if I were to contract a particular um, bacterial or, or this version of pneumonia, I would probably survive with very little problems. But I'm not going to tell my 40-year-old kids to take it. It's ridiculous. They will, uh, they will rally quickly. Anyway, I just I get that strange feeling when I see headlines like this. Like here they go, they want to do this again. They they actually think they can do this again. And why wouldn't they think that? We all so willingly went along with it last time. Anyway, don't forget to download the app, the 850 WFTL app, or at least visit the 850 WFTL website so that you can participate in contests, listen to the various podcasts of shows that you may have missed, mine, the morning show. Uh, and of course, the No Restraint podcast and uh, the UAP, as well as Cool Dad Rules, all of them available at the website or on your app. Let me take a quick break. I'll be right back.
All these crazy alien stories can't be true, can they? Hey, it's Stephen Diener, host of the Unidentified Alien Podcast. And whether you're new to the conversation or have been looking into it for years, you need to check out the fastest growing alien show out there, the Unidentified Alien Podcast, or UAP for short. There's a crazy amount of alien encounter stories out there from all over the world. And the beauty of it is that I bring them all to you and let you decide what you believe. Download and subscribe to UAP on any of the major podcasting platforms. And you can also find it on UAPpodcast.com. You know, the other unbelievable, unbelievable story, really, that I had to sit through, uh, I was on some website, and I, I sat through a little mini video, I guess it was an outtake from a newscast, was a local story. And I have some very strong opinions about the subject, and I've held them for a long time. I think I was probably one of the first people to bring Abigail Shira on the air to talk about this whole, uh, you know, transgenderism with teenage girls and with that age group and how it just seemed to have erupted from nowhere. And I, I don't understand it. I, I really don't. I don't understand it at all. Because there's just certain biological realities. And I, I don't know how you can avoid them or how you can ignore them. But there was this whole little controversy, and of course it's playing out across the country as like an indictment of Governor DeSantis, right? Because he signed a bill way back, in like not even last year, I think it was the year before, in 2021, that said in high school on, on girls' teams, or on I think any team, you could not allow transgendered females to play against uh, real females, born female females. So there's a high school called Monarch High School. And apparently, this is in Pompano Beach, mind you, which is pretty much where I live. The There was a student who wanted to play on a girls' volleyball team who was born a male. I'm like, I got to be careful how I even say this stuff. But that's the reality. So for some reason, the principal and the coaches, the volleyball coach and other people in the school, they decided to allow this, this person to play. And the student apparently transitioned like a long time ago, not like this month. Um, and so the student re was reassigned to Monarch High for whatever reason, I guess so that they could begin their new life without uh, pre-existing ideas of the people that they'd been going to school with all their lives. I, I really don't know. I think that we do do way too much accommodating. I mean, if this is real, then there should be normal protocol for making transitions, but apparently it's not real and therefore we have to like fabricate all this nonsense. So apparently the student had not come out as transgender yet. So the athlete was living life as a girl in the school, but still biologically a male. So 
According to Title IX, and you know that I'm a big advocate for Title IX because if it hadn't been for Title IX, I would have never been able uh, to go to college. It was Title IX that afforded me a scholarship. And I know lots of other people who got rides, full rides, because they could play softball, you know, women who could play sports, and that had never been open to us before. You know, I'm the first class of, of athletes. You know, 19, early 1970s is when Title IX came into effect. And it basically protects women's sports. It allows athletes to compete against their same gender. That was the whole point, because there were always basketball teams at colleges, but they were male basketball teams. So if you wanted to play basketball, which was, happened to be the sport I played, or you wanted to play softball, which my friend played, then you would have to play on a male team and obviously you would not be competitive. So Title IX opened up uh, a whole new arena for women who wanted to go to school. And they were playing on teams that were consistent with the birth gender, the gender identity that was truly what they were born to. Now, of course, we have all of this nonsense that's not based on biology. It's only based on ideology. And why are we doing that? So the Florida law has been challenged, you know, saying that it's a false premise, it's a discriminatory practice, and that it threatens the well-being of transgender children. Transgender kids are kids. Transgender girls are girls. You know, this according to Alfonso David, the uh, president of the Human Rights Campaign. So the law that exists right now says that a transgender student athlete can't participate without first showing a birth certificate that says she was a girl when she was born. So, you know, I don't know if every girl has to show their birth certificate, but I would suppose that would be a fair request. If, you have, if you're making the, uh, the macho-looking girl show her birth certificate, everybody should have to show their birth certificate. And now here's the reality that nobody wants to talk about. And by the way, I believe Jeremy Boring sent out an email from Daily Wire that they just made a movie called, oh gosh, I can't think of what the name was, but it's Lady Ballers or something like that. It's about a, a group of boys who aren't very good athletes. And so the coach calls them girls, even though they're boys, and they now play against girl teams. And of course, they're, they're all of a sudden a winning team, right? And it's, it's supposed to be a comedy. And it's about time somebody like addressed the fact that it's kind of laughable to think that you could have boys competing against girls and not expect there to be an unfairness in that. So, you know, this, this high school decided that they were going to disregard the law and that they were going to let this transgendered person play in this volleyball, on this volleyball team. Now, of course, there's a lot of da danger in that. You know, uh, body strength, body size, body mass, not to mention there's a rule against it. And, you know, I don't know what the answer to all this is, but the only thing I can think of is if you want me to believe that there is sincerely a category of adolescents, teenagers, and young adults who are uh, 
transgendered, then we need to have a category so that they compete against other transgendered people. That's all. That, that, that seems to me be the only fair way you can do it. I don't want my grandson, you know, playing on the girl's team and, you know, hurting somebody. If you think, well, God forbid, but if he thought he was a girl, right? Um, F Florida, you know, is one of the few, few people, few states where sometimes reason does win out, but then you, you look at this and these, this principle, all these people decided, oh, no, no, we're not going to abide by the law, probably mostly for political reasons. They all got fired. <laughs> they did. And, uh. And the Broward County Schools, well, then guess what? They're going to have to deal with this now. It's horrendous that, that this became a national news story. This should not be an issue. Anyway, let me take a quick break. Stay right where you are. I will be right back. So here's one of the saddest realities in a long time. And I don't like to always talk about financial matters because I know a lot of people like their eyes glaze over and they either don't want to hear it or they don't understand it. But it's very hard for me to avoid the subject. And here's a really sad, sad reality. Nobody wants U.S. Treasury bonds. They were once the symbol of just how mighty America was. They were like the global coin of the realm except not anymore. They're out of favor and they have some serious consequences attached for taxpayers, for investors, and for the financial markets. Too much supply, not enough demand. When that comes together, when you have those two forces, those two economic forces collide, you get what has turned out to be the worst stretch for U.S. government bonds since the Civil War. That's, you heard me. The government just keeps borrowing money to cover the budget deficits. And so even the people who have been reliably buying that debt here in the form of these treasury bonds or abroad, they're not doing it anymore. So investors are, the only way they'll buy these bonds is if they get really uh, steep yields. And that's been kind of true since... I want to say 2006, 2007, they used to have auctions of bonds and they were a big deal and the news would talk about them and, uh, and no more. Now a, a bond auction, it's sad. And bond portfolios getting hammered for seniors, people who are trying to look for safe investments. The Longest dated treasury bonds are in a bear market and it's worse than the dot-com bust bubble and it's really almost as bad as 2008. So the government is borrowing more than anybody expected, which increases the supply of treasuries and brings down their value. And, and meanwhile, the Federal Reserve is selling down its own holdings dumping more bonds into a market that doesn't want them. There's no demand. Even six months ago, there was more demand. You can buy a six-month T-bill that's yielding just over 5%. Why wouldn't you buy that? 
instead of a long bond that's yielding four and three quarters. Already, a two and a half percent of the U.S. economic output is going to service existing debts. And they're they're pretty sure that that number, analysts are already predicting that number is going to hit 4% by 2030. So if you're already running huge deficits, the only way for the Treasury to pay the interest and also pay for all this crazy programs that this administration, student loan forgiveness and the CHIPS Act, they got to keep borrowing. And if they keep borrowing, who are they going to borrow from? China and Japan, who used to be the most reliable buyers of treasury bonds, they're selling them now because they got currency problems. I was just reading an article the other day about China having serious economic problems. So a decade ago, they held something like a quarter of the U.S. government bonds. I saw an article recently, they're down to 7%. And of course, the war in Ukraine, uh, no more demand among the Eastern European buyers. Increasing U.S. oil production means fewer petrodollars in the Middle East to be reinvested through the treasury market. Banks are stepping back. During the pandemic, they parked a flood of new deposits in government bonds because they had nowhere else to put them. Demand for loans was light. Nobody was doing much. Now that deposit glut is easing and hopefully businesses are borrowing again. But a lot of people are sitting on the same paper losses on treasury bonds that brought down the dot-coms, the Silicon Valley Bank this spring, and they're not gonna take any more of them. Bank of America, which has something like $130 billion of unrealized losses, they sold half of their treasury bonds this year. And a lot of investors who own government bonds don't own them as an investment, but kind of like a, you know, a, a, an alternate currency. It's sort of like a Chuck E. Cheese coin to be used inside of financial markets. They were thought to be as good as cash, but you know, in the past few years, we've seen that, that they failed to live up to that. And the market kind of broke the fall in 2019. And again, in maybe the beginning of 2020, in the early days of the pandemic, the British government bonds were behind uh, a crisis in those British pension funds, and that forced the Bank of England to step in. It was a $91 billion pile of U.S. government bonds that brought down the Silicon Valley Bank. Big banks took the regional bank crisis as proof that not only were treasury bonds not making them any money, they weren't making them any safer. So the treasury market is supposed to be the deepest and most liquid in the whole world. And if it's not functioning, there are going to be serious consequences for all the other markets. Hedge funds got caught on the wrong. They were heavily leveraged. They got caught on the wrong side of a treasury swing just in March and sold whatever they could, which of course didn't work. Safe havens only work if they're safe. So there are new sources of treasury demand that hopefully will keep the market going. Tech companies are sitting on a ton of money. And a lot of experts think that China's trade surplus is as much as $300 billion bigger 
than they're telling us or that any of the official numbers tell us. And they're clearly not going to reinvest in the German Bund or, or the British guilt. So the price swings, I don't know if they reflect a broken market, but instead of debating over whether the Fed is going to hit its 2% inflation target or quiet quit closer to 3%, people are moving their money around. And, and that's not meant to show, uh, you know, some particular sophistication on my part, although I do study this stuff. I had to do financial broadcasting for a long time, and so I made it my business to at least understand the various markets, whether it was, you know, the stock market or whether it was the bond market or whether it was, you know, the, the foreign currency exchange. I mean, I know a little bit about everything, not a lot about anything. But I will tell you this, that I've been watching these bond markets very closely and they're in free fall. The treasury bond is no longer a place where you're safe. So it's gonna impact. It's gonna impact this country. It's gonna impact savings. It's gonna impact treasury um, portfolios. It's gonna impact retirement funds, pension funds. And whenever there's that kind of impact, the little guy's the one that always gets hurt. Anyway, don't forget, coming up after me is Eric Erickson, followed by Joe Paggs and Lars Larson tomorrow morning at 6 a.m. Jen and Bill will be back with the South Florida Morning Show, followed by Brian Kilmeade at 9, Dan Bongino at noon, and then, of course, my, my show at 3 o'clock. But I still have one segment left today, so don't touch that dial. I'll be right back. So, of course, you know, now we're beginning to hear about the conditions of the hostages. And tomorrow I'm going to talk extensively about that. But uh, there are some serious questions as to human rights violations. Well, we knew that. But uh, it doesn't get much attention. What does get attention and which really makes me sick to my stomach. So everybody knows that I really um, spend a lot of time on Substack, which is, in my opinion, the last place where actual journalists can write actual stories and do some investigative journalism. I mean, the free press is one that I, I use all the time. Um, it's just my number one go-to research kind of site because the journalists there do the hard work. Um, Naomi Wolf, you know, a lot of the people who I have grown um, very dependent on for information. But of course, that makes people crazy, right? The left does not want there to be an alternative to the left. So now they're saying that Substack, which always calls itself the last best hope for civility on the internet and wants to be a big player in the politics in 2024. So now they're saying, or at least Lanik is saying, that um, Substack has become a home and a propagator of white supremacy and anti-Semitism with overtly Nazi rhetoric on the platform that it profits from. Now, I spend a great deal of time reading various uh, newsletters on Substack. If there are a whole lot of white supremacists and uh, Nazi newsletters on Substack. Nobody ever shows them in my feed. And I'm sure if there are, they're a tiny fraction 
of the newsletters that are on a site that has more than 17,000 paid writers as of March, and that's according to Axios, and many other writers who do not charge for their work. But that doesn't mean that I think we should ignore white nationalist newsletters, whether they're on Substack or anywhere else. Because again, I talk about free speech. There's some speech that transcends the qualifier. You know, if you're promoting violence against Jews, now to me, that's not free speech. If you have nothing but, you know, swastikas in your logo, Nazi banners on the uh, Berlin Brandenburg Gate, and racist caricatures of anybody, whether it's of a Jew or a Chinese person. If you have a, they have one uh, newsletter that's called White Papers, and the tagline of that newspaper is your pro-white policy destination. And it's a site that talks about the great replacement theory. And look, there are lots of crazy ideas out there. And I'm not so sure that we can trust anyone to police the internet at all times. You know, when they make references to the Jewish question, well, that might be free speech. But when they call for the extermination of the Jewish people, I think you've gone a little f too far. I don't think free speech is going to hold up. And when you've got white nationalists, at least four of the newsletters they're talking about in this article are run by organizers of the Unite the Right rally in Charlottesville, including the Richard Spencer, who, in my opinion, is a subhuman piece of garbage. So some of these newsletters by Nazis and white nationalists have thousands, even tens of thousands of subscribers. So this has become a tool for them. And they get paid subscriptions through Substack, just like everybody else. The question is, if they publish content or fund initiatives that incite violence, well then, I don't want to call it free speech. And I don't think you do either. If they promote violence against black people, that's not free speech. Violence against Jews, that's not free speech. And we know that. It's like pornography. You know it when you see it. You don't have to have an actual delineation. As the Supreme Court ruled, you know it when you see it. And you know when you read any kind of website that's publishing content that incites violence against people for just the color of their skin or their faith, that you're, you're crossing a line that we don't want to cross as a society. It's not free speech anymore. It's inciting violence. Anyway, that's just my two cents. Tomorrow I will be talking a lot more about what uh, we're now finding out is going on in those tunnels under Gaza, and it's not good news. I thank you for your time this time until next time, and my plan is to be back here tomorrow at 3 o'clock if it be his will and he delays his coming. What lies behind us and what lies ahead of us are tiny matters compared to what lies within us. So wherever you are, just be yourself. Everybody else is taken. Then may God bless you, and may God bless the United States of America. See you tomorrow.
The Joyce Kaufman Podcast has been brought to you by Code Red Roofers, South Florida's leading residential and commercial roof experts. Code Red Roofers, roofers that respond. Call 844-4-CODE-RED or visit coderedroofers.com.